Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Debbie Stabenow has been one of the most familiar and powerful names in state and national politics for several decades, and now she says her current term in the U.S. Senate will be her last. We'll talk with Senator Stabenow about her decision to leave elected office and about the accomplishments of her tenure in national and state politics, and then we'll talk with two political strategists about how an open Senate seat will change the electoral landscape here in 2024. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you decided to join us today. When you think about politics in Michigan, I think it's impossible to not think of the name Debbie Stabenow. The Michigan senator was the first woman to be elected to a Senate seat from our state in 2000 and has established a political career that has spanned five decades. She first became an elected politician in 1974 when she sat on the Ingham County Commission. She was then elected to the Michigan State Legislature before becoming a congressperson and eventually unseating Republican Senator Spencer Abraham in that 2000 Senate race. During her time in office, Senator Stabenow has prioritized farmers and Michigan's agricultural sector and has pushed for more spending on mental health, mothers, children, and families. She is one of the most influential voices, not just in the Democratic caucus in Washington, but in the full Senate. Yesterday, Stabenow decided that she was not going to run for re-election in 2024, which makes uh, for very interesting political speculation that will go on for the next two years. A little later in the program, we're going to talk about what Stabenow's absence means for the soon-to-be Michigan candidates who are going to vie for that seat. But before we get there, we have invited Senator Stabenow onto the program to talk about why she's leaving, what has been meaningful about her political career, both in Washington and here in Michigan, and whether she's hopeful we can create maybe a better politics in the years ahead. Senator Stabenow, always great to have you here, but especially today, welcome back to Detroit Today. Well, good morning, Stephen. It's wonderful to be back with you, and uh, and I will be in the Senate two more years. So yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to run through the tape. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, so let's start uh, with why you have announced at this point, uh, just as uh, the, the the Congress is starting its next term, uh, that you won't be running for re-election. As you point out, you have two more years uh, to serve in that role. Give me a sense of uh, what led you to, to decide this publicly, at least right now. Sure. Well, for me, a couple of different things have come together, both um, on the public side and in uh, my personal life. First of all, I have always believed that it's important to know when to pass the torch to the next generation. That's really important to me. I, you know, I started, uh, as you said, I was 24 years old in grad <laughs> school when I first got involved. Uh, in, you know, lights went off in my head here on about politics and so on when I led an effort to save a nursing home in, in Lansing area. And Turned out I live in the district of the county commissioner trying to close the nursing home, and I was <laughs> not very happy with him. And uh, people encouraged me to run, and I did, and, and I beat him. And interestingly, he called me that young broad, uh, and the young broad <laughs> beat him. So, uh, but, but that really started, a, a, you know, a, 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 a life of public service in the elected office that I hadn't really thought about before. But then there were, um, you know, there were eight women in the state house and none in the state senate and none statewide and now it's completely different you know governor statewide 44 women in the state house uh, um, uh, i think 
what do we have, 15, I think, in the state Senate, the new majority leader and so on. So for me, it's, you know, I've always felt that I wanted to open doors, keep them open, and and know the time to really pass the torch. And after this last election and all the young people involved and the great people that are now in leadership positions in Michigan, this really feels like the right time mm. for me to take that step. And it does coincide with personal uh, considerations for me. My mom is 96 years old mm. and time with her is very precious. And, uh, uh, you know, rather than the rigors of the next two years in a campaign, I think it's also a time when I want to uh, have, you know, more flexibility to make sure I'm there for her. So it, it, it just came together and I'm confident that I will pass the torch uh, to uh, the next generation of Democratic leaders. And so, uh, but it's, um, hmm. and I think for me doing it now, it, it's, again, part of what I feel is my responsibility to give people time to make decisions and organize and get their own story and support out there. And so uh, I just think it's um, it's uh, my responsibility to, to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do want to talk more about uh, kind of what you see ahead uh, for the scene and, of course, for what will be a very spirited contest, not just in the general election, but I imagine uh, in the Democratic primary as well. Uh, but, but before we get to that, I, I, I want to have you talk just a little about what it was like and what's changed f- uh, over the time that you've been in public office. As you point out, you were very young when you joined uh, you know, the, the, right. the political uh, world, uh, and, and there weren't many women uh, in, in a lot of uh, elected offices. Uh, you were the first woman elected uh, to, the, to the U.S. Senate. But, but talk about the, the, the change that you've seen in uh, just the gender dynamics around politics, especially here in our state, um, uh, since you've been in office. Well, so much has changed. In fact, I've really been thinking about that a lot um, recently because, um, you know, I was the first woman and youngest person to chair the county board when I was 26. And um, and honestly, you know, there, there were not very many doors open. You had to kind of bust down the door. And, uh, and it was important for me, again, that it's not just about me. It's about opening the door for others. And I think that's so important. And in the beginning, there was always this sense of, well, we could have one woman. You know, you have to get together and decide who it will be. There can only be one. <laughs> and I always rejected that because, uh, you know, we're over half the population and uh, we, we need seats at the, the table. And it, as Shirley Chisholm said when she ran for president, if there's not a seat at the table for you, bring a folding chair. So at the beginning, I was doing a lot of folding chairs, <laughs> but uh, now we, you know, we have the seats um, at the table. So it, it has changed step by step by step in so many ways. Um, I also feel I was... Um, I chose, I represent Lansing area, of course, close to the capital, and I chose to have uh, both of my children, my son when I was a county commissioner, my daughter when I was a state representative, and um, that had not been done before. And so um, I, I really, I feel good that we've now made uh, these offices more family-friendly for people and uh, <clears throat> and allowed, you know, really more younger people to be able um, to participate. I remember when I was pregnant and working on uh, major uh, legislation uh, on the House floor that uh, I had colleagues go out and say, well, when you talk on the mic, we forget you're pregnant. And I, I said, um, it doesn't affect the brain, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> I, can still, I can still do my job. But uh, so a lot has changed. And right up through, obviously, U.S. Senate, um, when I was elected in 2000, um, it was the first year we went from nine women to 13 women right. in the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. And it was the first year there was enough women to have one woman woman on every committee in the U.S. Senate. So imagine that. 2000, before that, there hadn't been enough women to have one woman on, um, on, on every each of committee. the yeah. committees. Yeah. So a lot has changed. Um, 
and um, so many more opportunities. And I, I think the biggest thing for me is we, we talk less about gender and more about just looking at people's qualifications, which is what we should do. You know, with a, when our great governor and, and secretary of state and attorney general ran in 18, they didn't run as a slate saying elect all of us as women. They each ran in their own right, uh, based on their own uh, competency and their own ideas. Yeah. And they were elected in their own right. And so, um, so that's a really important change from my perspective. Yeah. I'm talking with uh, U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat from here in Michigan, has served uh, since she was elected in 2000 uh, in the Senate. She announced yesterday that this will be her last term in the Senate when uh, the seat uh, is uh, up again in 2024. She will not be on the ballot. Of course, that sets off quite a political scramble here uh, in the state. Uh, but we're talking with Senator Stabenow now about uh, her tenure in office, both in Washington and here in Michigan, before uh, she went to the Senate. Uh, we'd love to have you as part of the conversation as well. Give us a call and let us know if you have questions for Senator Stabenow about her time in office. What do you make of her tenure in office? Uh, and who do you hope her successor might be uh, when she does step down in 2024? The number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can... Uh, also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Um, uh, one of the things that uh, that I uh, have always thought was a hallmark of uh, your tenure in the Senate, uh, uh, Debbie, is fighting for more money and resources for the elderly, for people who have mental health issues, and for uh, maternity care. And I, I want to play a, a clip of you talking with Republican Senator John Kyle while you oh. were hashing out what would be included in the Affordable Care Act. And I think there's, you know, there's a, an important substance to this, this quote, but it's also kind of a funny exchange. I don't no. think you can go forward and allow 60% of the insurance companies not to provide basic maternity care uh, in a new system we're setting up that uh, hopefully is going to be better than the old one. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. Well, first of all, uh, I don't need maternity care. And so requiring that to be in my insurance policy is something that I don't need and will make the policy more expensive. If I could just interject yeah, yeah, once me, with my colleague, I think your mom probably did. <laughs> I think your mom probably does. In other words, you're not here just to legislate for yourself. You're here to legislate well, and he for everybody. And was impacted, right? I mean, the point was we are all connected and in the healthcare system. You know, uh, it's like he probably had a healthier birth because his mom, right. had, you know, had maternity care. Yeah. And so it's like it's not just about you individually. It's, you know, a healthcare system is supposed to be about, you know, connecting all of us. So. Yeah. And, and I think that 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 exchange also reflects the efforts that uh, you made over and over, I think, to open the minds of your colleagues, whether they were Democrats or Republicans, uh, to think more about the needs of women and mothers and families. I mean, I feel like that was uh, a, a kind of constant theme of the kind of work you were doing in Washington. Well, in, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And yes, I mean, I feel like, you know, coming in as a w woman in the beginning, there was always this trap. Like, if you talked about women, like I authored the first domestic violence laws uh, in Michigan as a state representative, developed the first domestic violence shelter in mid-Michigan when I was chairing the county board. And it was sort of like, well, of course you'd care about that, you know, because you're a woman, it would kind of be discounted. But then I realized if I didn't do it, if I'm at the table and I don't raise it, and I'm the, you know, the only woman there, then who will? And so, you know, it, it, you have to push past that. And, and of course, I'm, I'm going to raise um, those issues. And it's, frankly, when I look at that exchange that you indicated, the Finance Committee is arguably the most powerful committee in the Senate. I'm now number two in seniority and uh, longest serving woman there. But it, it, there would have been a time where there wasn't a woman in the room to say that. I mean, I literally 
feel that if I had not been there, part of writing the Affordable Care Act, and push, we wouldn't have maternity care as an essential service uh, in in healthcare. So, it's you know our voices at the table are incredibly important, and it's not just uh, um, I mean every issue is a women's issue, and but there is a important perspective that I have um, that that you know that I need to be. Um, expressing and making sure that the needs of everybody yeah. um, are taken care of. Yeah. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones and you can go to Twitter and hashtag us and we can include you in the conversation that way. Uh, Ruby on Twitter says, Senator Stabenow has promised to bring internet access to underserved areas of Michigan. 16 years in Webster Township and we still don't have internet or cable. While I voted for Senator Stabenow repeatedly, lack of internet puts us at a disadvantage, both academically and employment-wise. I know this was uh, an issue that that, uh, you pushed quite a bit in Washington. Uh, There in Webster Township, apparently uh, we didn't get it done. Uh, Talk about the the work that's still to be done and why why we haven't been more successful in uh, making sure everybody has access. This is such an important issue, and it was glaring as a disparity during COVID, right? I mean, children that, and, you know, it, we moved to telehealth, but not everybody had Internet access, and children in school and so on. We are making major progress that I would, I, I hope that within a year uh, or so that Webster Township is going to really feel that difference. We've, um, both in the, the five-year farm bill that I lead that, addresses rural issues. We've added funding there. But in the infrastructure bill, coming out of COVID, one of the positive things is that nobody argued that internet access, high-speed internet access, broadband, was not infrastructure anymore. So the bill we passed a year ago has a substantial funding for high-speed internet to, to connect uh, not just rural, but urban and suburban and so on. And the bulk of that is coming to the state, and, and the state will be getting or is getting now funding every year and um, is responsible for putting together a plan for where the needs are. So it's really an important time to engage your state rep and state senator and um, and the governor and so on to make sure those plans you know, meet the needs of the community. But the funding uh, is robust. And for the first time, uh, we've now said that high-speed Internet is infrastructure. So so it's coming. We just need to, you know, we need to get it going faster. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, and that question kind of reminds me of the broader question about things that you were not able to get done in the time that you were in the Senate and maybe wish – uh, you had been able to get done. What, what else is on that list? Well, gosh, there's always a long list for me. <laughs> I'm always, uh, um, you know, and then again, two more years uh, to, to get things done here. But, um, you know, uh, so many things. We're, um, it's hard to know where to start. Let me, let me say, start with mental health. You mentioned mental health. I've been working for 10 years with a bipartisan colleague, uh, a Republican colleague, Roy Blunt, and we finally, uh, in the gun safety bill passed last summer, have um, transformed and fully funded community mental health and addiction services that will be funded like health care through Medicaid not just grants. And that is beginning in Michigan. We have, I believe, 38 uh, clinics now and is beginning across the country. One of the things that I'm laser focused on right now is implementing that and getting other states. Senator Blunt and I have been on the phone with governors um, explaining to them why they should be setting the, these programs up and meeting the quality standards and so on. So there's there's more to do there. I know that the governor is very supportive of the state legislature, but there's a lot of um, implementation along the line there that, that uh, needs to happen. I'm still very focused on home health care. I think we've got a lot more to do. We saw in COVID again the importance of home health care, and I think we've got more to do to strengthen that. Um, for families, and that's certainly on my um, list. Um, you know, we don't have an economy unless you make things and grow things, mm-hmm. and that's why I've led 
on manufacturing and on agriculture. And in manufacturing, we're, we're turning a corner. I mean, we're, I have authored a number of different things from the advanced uh, technology loan program now being used to fund the new battery uh, plants, uh, production tax credit for batteries, the consumer credit for EVs. There's a whole range of efforts on manufacturing, but we're 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 turning the corner. You know, the chips bill to bring jobs home. I feel like we've we've passed that, but it's not fully implemented. So a lot of it is like making sure it gets to Michigan, making sure jobs get to Michigan. Um, and then in agriculture, when I came in to Congress actually starting back in the U.S. House, fruits and vegetables were not a formal part of what's called the Farm Bill, the, the five-year bill that uh, provides the support and the safety net and research and so on for for agriculture. And it was mostly the traditional rice, cotton, peanuts, corn, soybeans kind of thing. But half of what we grow is fruits and vegetables in this country, and there was not a section of the farm bills. Well, now there is, and it's robust, and our our farmers are benefiting from that. And I've uh, authored an urban agriculture office, which is important. I mean, working with Eastern Market, yeah. working our farmers markets, and you know, had small farms and urban ag, and so a lot for me is you know, how to continue that. And then the final thing I would just say, big category is Great Lakes. I've led on that. And we're in the middle of something now. There's a a, a new lock that's needed um, up in Sault Ste. Marie for how you bring down the barges from the St. Lawrence Seaway into the Great Lakes. If uh, one large lock is left, the the other one uh, broke down. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have that lock, we don't have commerce. And, and, and literally billions of dollars are, are lost. And so I've, I've got that now fully. The money's fully secured. They're moving ahead. They're in the middle of building it. So I feel like I'm sort of, you know, halfway through things. You know, the the big things economically that I think are important for us in quality of life. Um, but it's a matter of just pushing them all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quick question before we have to let you go. Anthony, who's on the phone, um, uh, wants to know why you raised so much money last year if you were going to uh, not run for re-election. He says that you raised $1.5 million. I've seen some other figures uh, that are all north of a, a million dollars. It's it's kind of a curious thing to have done, though, if, uh, if you don't plan to run. Can you explain that? Well, it's interesting. It's a six-year term. And when I won my last election, you know, after 2018, I'm very, very grateful for the support. I fully intended to run again. So, you know, and, and so it, because it's very expensive running statewide sure. and so on, it's tradition to raise uh, dollars, you know, on a regular basis over the years. And so I continued to do that. And it really wasn't until the last few months giving uh, you know, uh, just sort of my situation with my mom, looking at what was happening in the landscape and the great leaders and it coming forward and so on, that I really allowed myself to, to stop and think, um, was this the moment? Yeah. To pass so the this door? really was, uh, I mean, a, a, a late decision. I mean, this is a decision that you made very recently to not, to not seek it, re-election. It, it is in the sense of, I mean, I was planning on, on running again. I'm, I love, uh, you know, I love the job. I'm grateful for it. But, you know, it um, is something that, um, you know, in the last number of uh, months started to, to think about, but really crystallized just a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. OK, uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow, it's always great to have you here uh, to talk uh, not just about uh, politics and policy, but, uh, of course, uh, your career. Uh, congratulations on uh, deciding that uh, uh, that that uh, this will be your last term. And, of course, we will have you on many times before uh, before you leave after 2024. Um, well, but, thank you. It's yeah. always great to be with you. Yeah. No, great to have you here. OK, we're going to take a quick break. 
And when we come back, we're going to talk about what's next. We're going to talk with a Republican and a Democratic strategist about what an open Senate seat in 2024 means for interested candidates for the various parties. Uh, This will be a very interesting race, and I imagine it's going to start in earnest uh, a lot sooner than most people think. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Did you know it costs $650 per hour to operate WDET? That's a few dollars more per hour this year than last year. One big reason is that WDET now pays our interns. We're leveling the playing field for underrepresented and low-income applicants to learn journalism, podcasting, audio engineering, and more. I'm Diane Sanders, and I coordinate the WDET Internship Program. We're training the next generation of young people for the future news and information workforce. Financial help from General Motors, Verizon, the Polk Foundation, and the Clarence and Jack Himmel Foundation helped us jumpstart our internship program. You can help with a tax-deductible gift to WDET. Learn more at WDET.org slash interns. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We just spoke with Senator Debbie Stabenow about why she has decided not to seek re-election, and now we want to turn to what a vacant seat will mean for our politics here in Michigan in 2024. We'll start with a really, really stunning fact. The last Republican to win a Senate seat in Michigan was Spencer Abraham, and that was in 1994, almost 30 years ago. Uh, Spence Abraham, of course, was also the same Republican that Debbie Stabenow beat in the 2000 race. Uh, In truth, there has only been one Republican to hold a Michigan Senate seat in more than 40 years. The question, I think, uh, the big question going into 2024 is, well, will that trend continue or will it be broken? Who, in fact, will Republicans and Democrats put forward to run for this soon-to-be vacant Senate seat? If you're on social media and follow Michigan politics on social media, you know that as soon as Senator Stabenow announced yesterday that she wouldn't be running in 2024, it set off an incredible flurry of speculation about names who might be in the race, people who might consider themselves suitable to represent Michigan in the Senate. And I don't expect that that's going to die down anytime soon. In fact, uh, because of the money that needs to be raised and the organization that needs to be pulled together to have a successful Senate campaign, this is a race that's going to get started pretty quick. And that's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. To discuss all of this, we have two party operatives with us. Lavora Barnes is the chair of the Michigan Democratic Party and is currently running for re-election for that position. Lavora, welcome back to Detroit Today. It's great to be back. Good to hear your voice this morning. Yes, great to have you here. Also with us is John Selleck, a Republican political communications consultant and the founder and CEO of the Harbor Strategic Public Affairs Public Relations Firm. John, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's you know, it's an honor to be back here. Not only is it fun to be with Lavora because she and I actually worked on house staff at the same time right. back in the day. <laughs> uh, Stephen, you you really you perform a great service here with this show, just even listening to the the questions you put to Stabber, Senator Stabenon, you put to me and everyone else, your listeners. Uh, it's really impressive, and the way that you handle this is so professional. So I'm just, it's great to be back. Well, it's always great to have you here, John, because you have 
really important experience uh, in 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 politics and policy here. Uh, and and you're somebody whose uh, judgment I really I really value, of course, along with uh, with Lavora. So it's great to have the pair of you here to talk about this. I want to start with both of your reactions, not just to Senator Stabenow's announcement that she won't. Uh, seek re-election in 2024, but to some of the things that she talked about uh, in in the interview here uh, today, uh, the things that uh, that she got done, the things that she didn't uh, get done, and I guess where all that uh, leaves us uh, as we look to who's the next name. Lavora, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, I will say, Stephen, um, Senator Stavina has been such a terrific partner for, for me, for the state party, such a terrific leader for the state of Michigan. She is going to leave behind giant shoes to fill. Um, I am going to miss her personally and professionally. Um, she, she is uh, part of the reason we have built a strong grassroots organization at the state party because she believed wholeheartedly in the work that we were trying to do here and jumped in with both feet to help us build this program um, that we've had for years now. And that's part of the reason we've had success in Michigan as a party is because Debbie Stabenow has stepped up to, to help us lead the charge. So I'm, I'm going to miss her. I think Michigan is going to miss her, um, her stalwart leadership, so smart, so careful, so intelligent, believes so much in the people of Michigan and the work that she does on behalf of the people of Michigan. Um, we're, we're all going to miss her. Um, but as you mentioned, we have a deep bench of folks here in Michigan um, who have won um, and run and all over the state and the Democratic side. And we, we will we will hold this seat um, with one of the many folks who will step forward um, interested in running in this seat. I have no question that we will hold that seat. And I know that the senator is going to help us do that. Yeah. Well, Lavore, I also want to give you a chance to talk about the the ceiling uh, that that uh, Senator Stabenow helped smash here in, in the state of Michigan. I mean, before uh, she was elected in 2000, uh, only Jennifer Granholm, I think I'm right yeah. about this, had, had been elected statewide, was the only woman who'd been elected statewide. We now have uh, a state where <laughs> the governor, the attorney general, and the secretary of state, and one uh, senator are all elected statewide. And then, of course, you are uh, the yeah. chair of the Democratic Party. Seems like uh, you know Debbie Stabenow opens the doors or, or paves the way for for all of this female leadership we have today. Absolutely, and has done it from the beginning of her stellar career. Um, and has I imagine been in many rooms where she was the only woman, um, and has built a career on helping other women step up and lead and come into positions. If you if you just watch the way that she works, the way that she supports. Other women, all candidates, but other women who are running, um, she believes in helping folks move up through that, that hole that she created in that ceiling. And it really did um, start in many ways with her and the work that she did starting in Lansing. Yeah. Um, and then and she continues to do um, such terrific work on behalf of Michiganders, but provides sort of a, a goal, goal, goal for all of us to be that kind of leader and that kind of woman leader who helps other women and other people step up and run and win. Um, just a ter- terrific example. And really, unlike many others, like I've not, I've not worked with anyone who cares so much about the fullness of the party and the state, the way that Debbie Stavenow does. And I think we all um, owe her a debt of gratitude, particularly the women who have come behind her and stood on her shoulders um, running through the political process. It, it was, I imagine, when she first started her career, a tough world to be a woman in. And I think that she, she has made it easier for all of us to do the work that we do just by being so good at her job. Every every job she's had in politics, mm-hmm. but so good at it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, John, uh, let's talk about uh, your take on, on uh, Senator Stabenow, but then, of course, uh, the Republican, uh, I guess, conundrum, <laughs> maybe that 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 uh, it surrounds who they might uh, be able to 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 put forward to to challenge for this seat in in twenty twenty four. Yeah, well, there, there's no question that Senator Stabenow's career was legendary as far as the history of Michigan politics, and Michigan's been fortunate to have a lot of important people in the U.S. Senate. You know, uh, we just said goodbye to Carl Levin. Uh, it seems like hardly not very long ago. Mm-hmm. And now we're doing that with Senator Stabenow. And one place that seniority and experience 
and thoughtfulness still seems to exist in the world is in the U.S. Senate. Uh, and so to lose her seniority, her position uh, in the agriculture uh, industry and community uh, is a big hit for Michigan, that's for sure. Laura, you know, did a great job talking about her importance inside their party. Um, uh, and as a, a, a glass ceiling shatterer, being the first female U.S. Senator in Michigan history. Um, and a lot of us only think of her Senate career, but uh, I don't want to admit how old I am, but when I was first an intern, you know, I was in the middle of what was a previous life for her at the state legislative level. Uh, you know, she was the main foil to John Engler mm -hmm. uh, in the legislature, and uh, their brinksmanship is what ended up causing us to have the, the property tax system we still have to this day from the 1990s, Proposal A. It was my first job in the governor's office to answer the phone and explain to people how to look on their tax form and see the <laughs> difference between taxable value and assessed value uh, and their battles in the legislature, what led to that. So she's been around a long time. And not only that, um, she had lost that governor's primary in 1994 to Howard Wolpe yes. and a testament to her skill, uh, political skill, her determination. She came back and won a congressional seat in mid-Michigan, the seat basically that Alyssa Slacken holds now. Uh, and then dropped that to take on a sitting U.S. senator, knocked him off and never looked back. So um, she is involved with a lot of Michigan political history. Um, there's a lot more to be uh, to be told and remembered, I think, over this time. But unfortunately, in politics, a little bit different than some other areas, Stephen. You know, some places you retire, everybody pats you on the back. There's maybe a party, you get a couple <laughs> gifts, gold watch. In politics, you announce you're retiring in the morning, and at lunch, the buzzards are circling your desk. <laughs> that's right. That's so right take now, your right? job, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, so the Dems, the Democrats have a very deep bench right now. Um, it actually leads to more complications, I think. It, it's a nice problem for Lavora and the governor to have, to be honest, uh, compared to where the, the Republicans are at. I'm trying to figure out how do you help guide a primary? How do you make it as the least divisive as possible? Um, I mean, because not only is President Biden counting on Lavora and Governor Whitmer to get him reelected inside the state of Michigan, now he's going to say, I need you to take care of the Senate seat. Uh, had Debbie Sabino run for re-election, you know, one of your callers uh, noted what a great fundraiser she is. She mm -hmm. was going to win re-election probably, uh, and that should have been a safe seat. So he, the, the president needs Lavora and Governor Whitmer to get him re-elected in the state of Michigan, and they now need them, he needs them to win the Senate seat. Uh, and sometimes, you know, uh, every one of these politicians is on the Dem team, but they're politicians. They all have ambitions. They want to do things in life. And Senate seats, open Senate seats, just don't come along very often, sometimes once in a political lifetime. So you might have to argue with somebody like a Garland Gilchrist or Alyssa Slotkin or Dana Nessel or you name it. Don't run this time. We're trying to narrow this thing down yeah. um, and try to avoid those battles. So I think that'll be interesting to watch. I mean, the Dem, the Republican side will just be entertainment, pure entertainment. Well, yeah, I mean, I want, I want to have you talk about the Republican side and, and not just in terms of what we have uh, in terms of possibility now, but also how that is shaped in some ways by the other turmoil that we see in, you know, in the party, not just here in Michigan, but, but nationally. I mean, it, it's having a, a really hard time finding its way. Well, it is. I don't think that Donald Trump created this. Um, he just saw it and figured out how to, to move it forward. And it, it's now eating him up. We're watching as the speaker fight goes on and on. It's moving from something to laugh at uh, to, to kind of crisis level. Um, it's, it's impinging upon the operations of the entire U.S. Congress. Um, people like John James and, and others are uh, only be able to call uh, representative-elect because they can't get sworn in. They're not even getting paid. Staff is going to start falling by the wayside. Mm -hmm. So watching this, this um, not end result, but continue un continuing unfolding of the MAGA movement. And the, the nice way to put it is performance art. So a handful of people figured out that if they conduct performance art before the cameras in Washington, um, they get to have their names in the paper and they're on CNN and MS MSNBC and maybe they'll be something bigger than what they are. And the question then becomes, how long do they hold this out? Um, and that has a trickle down effect. Uh, we don't have a Michigan Republican chairman uh, here in the state right. and you know they're not going to vote on that until next month. So there's like over a month and a half to go until we get to that. Um, so Lavar and the Dems, they have a nice opening right now. And uh, I think if anything, what Kevin McCarthy and uh, 
the other MAGA folks in Washington are doing right now is giving a lot of ammunition. They're helping uh, Lavora, the governor, uh, Speaker Tate, uh, Majority Leader Brinks say to their very narrow majorities in the Michigan legislature, look what happens if you start thinking that you don't need to prioritize unity in your party. We're not going to get anything done. Uh, Lavora, I, w- I want to, before we have to take a quick break, I want to, I want to, just to give you a chance to talk about the field uh, on the Democratic side, which, as John points out, uh, is already pretty crowded in, in just 24 hours. Uh, talk about, though, the process of trying to to sort that and, and manage egos and expectations along with, uh, with you know, the party unity over the next two years. Yeah, I, I was going to start by saying, in contrast to the chaos that's happening on the Republican side, we do have a unified party here. Um, and I think that, you know, the conversations that will be ongoing from, from yesterday forward will be robust. People will put forth their case for why they should be the, the Democratic nominee for this important U.S. Senate seat. And we will, as a Democratic family, come together behind whoever that choice is. Um, here at the party, we're going to start as we always do, as we always have, building the infrastructure, raising the money, making sure we're ready to support that candidate on the other side of that primary if we have one. Um, but you know, know that the conversations will happen. The folks who have an interest in running will will speak up and talk to you know the the leaders in the party and the members of this party and Democrats across the state. And we have uh, we're lucky to have some excellent choices, some terrific people who would make excellent candidates and excellent U.S. senators. It's going to be hard. Um, <laughs> as John mentioned, you know, there are so many folks out there who who recognize that this is this doesn't come along often. If you've ever had a, a thought that you wanted to be in the U.S. Senate, the idea that suddenly yesterday there was this opportunity to do so in 2024 is a big deal for folks. And I know that, you know, many people are weighing the options of, of whether to, to run folks who are currently legislators, folks who are former legislators, folks who are in Congress, you know, that the, the, our statewide electeds, all of them are probably looking at it and thinking about it. Um, I've had so many phone calls from folks who have an interest or have a suggestion about who it should be. Um, it's going to be a robust <laughs> conversation. But I, I'm going to Are tell you putting you your honestly, phone on silent, LaVora? I, I can't. I can't. It's on silent now. But I will tell you this, Stephen. I, as the party chair, I'm not even going to say a name because I can't say well, all the names. You can't do that, right? I'll say the names. Exactly. I cannot. John, John, John will probably happily say this, but I can't. But I will tell you this. Everyone I've talked to or heard about or talked about would be an excellent U.S. senator. That's how deep the Michigan Democratic Party bench is right now. Wow. And the strength of this party is all of those people and the work they do together every cycle to help everyone up and down the ticket get elected and we'll get right back to that work in 2024 just like we did in 22 and in 20 and in 18 it is what we do and we will continue to do it and we will hold this seat Mm, wow all right we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back (laughs) we're gonna continue talking with john selleck and lavora barnes about uh, this now open uh, u.s senate seat in michigan for the 2024 elections want to hear from you the listeners as well who do you think are the people who should be the top contenders for this senate seat what kind of politics and policies do you want them to have what should their policies be what kind of coalition do you think they need to organize in order to win and do you think republicans have enough time between now and 2024 to kind of pull it together get behind somebody who has a real shot at uh, winning for the first time a u.s senate seat since 1994 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone that's 313-577-1019 you can also go to twitter and hashtag detroit today and we'll include you that way we'll be right back with more detroit today Today, I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are John Selleck, uh, who's a Republican political communications consultant, and Lavora Barnes, who's a chair of the Michigan Democratic Party. We're talking about the open Senate seat that will uh, occur in 2024 because U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow has announced that she won't seek re-election. Uh, we're talking about the names that have already 
uh, popped up and and uh, are being debated on social media and in other places, uh, talking about the fact that Republicans uh, will try to win that seat for the first time in 30 years. Uh, that's the last time that a Republican was elected to the Senate from Michigan. We want to hear from you, the listeners, about uh, what you think of this open Senate seat, who you think ought to be considered for it. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Before we get to listeners, John, I want to talk just about a couple of names on the Republican side and, and what sure. you think of how they might play out. Uh, Peter Meyer is somebody who, when he was in the House uh, in Washington, I think was establishing uh, a rapport not just as you know a, a reliable conservative uh, voter, uh, but but also somebody who was willing to to, to be open minded about working with with Democrats. Uh, somebody who might be able to draw independent <clears throat> or even Democratic votes. He seems like somebody who might be uh, batted about as a candidate. At the same time, uh, you know, he he lost his primary uh, for re-election in the House because of. Some of the things you were already talking about, this this split in the party, this strain about Donald Trump and his influence. So so give me a sense of how that name strikes your ears today and whether there's maybe another name uh, that might uh, that might be better. Yeah, Peter Meyer is right at the top of my list of possibilities. Uh-huh. Uh, if he had not had to take that vote, if we are not, you know, uh, strangely enough, here we are on January 6th. Uh, if he didn't have to take that vote as his very first vote uh, going into Congress, we'd be looking at him very differently. Right, to approve um, the investigation into into January. Yeah, and the impeachment, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. He still would have had a big challenge with the redistricting and, you know, a quality candidate like uh, uh, Hillary Scolton. But um, he's, for a first-term congressman, uh, uh, very intelligent, super well-read on the issues, compassionate, kind, open to actual discussion, uh, didn't do the performance art thing. Uh, he could self-fund at least the entry to a race. And if we listen closely to his exit interviews in December, uh, he doesn't want to be done yet. Uh, And so there's certainly the possibility as Trump's own followers are ignoring him uh, over there while they take down Kevin McCarthy um, in a contested primary, like a legitimately contested two, three, four-way primary. uh, There's a strong possibility that Peter Meyer could win. Um, I also see uh, some people giggle at this, but there is a legitimate path to there being a repeat of the seventh congressional race of Alyssa Slacken versus Tom Barrett. Hmm. Tom became a well-known uh, quantity to the Washington folks who fund a majority of this stuff. Um, the abortion issue hurt all Republicans and it hurt him. We don't know if abortion will be front and center in voters' minds as much uh, in 24 as it was two years ago. It's not going away, but we just don't know the dynamics of the election. He easily could be uh, up there again. Uh, and then uh, somebody like Lisa McLean, uh, congressman uh, there in Southeast Michigan, has been very ambitious moving forward quickly in a uh, GOP uh, female candidate. And then I would expect we're going to see, you know, kind of a repeat of the the primary for the governor's race. It'll be a cast of many. And we could see a James Craig in there again. Mm-hmm. We certainly could see Tudor Dixon, Perry Johnson, Kevin Rinke, all those folks. I'm sure uh, Lavaro would be glad to see that. That kind of road show. Like, <laughs> now she's ready to talk. You're making it easy for him. <laughs> yeah, and we could even see some people who've been elected in the past. You know, we could see a Mike Cox or a Bill Schuette or something like that. You know, I just think that because these seats don't come open very often and there's no leadership controlling or steering the Republican Party right now right. in Michigan, that the field will be big. Whereas on the Dem side, certainly um, if I was making the list, I would put Alyssa Slacken at the top. She's a uh, proven under pressure in a 50-50 district multiple times. She's been my congressman where I live. Um, she talks the right talk. She's kind of similar to Governor Whitmer in the, the kitchen table issues, but she's also an expert on uh, foreign affairs, which matters greatly uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, and she's a fundraising machine, yes. um, just big time. Uh, and I think we're already starting to see signs that she's moving quickly forward, but uh, it's free shot to run, so to speak, for Dana Nessel and Jocelyn Benson, although mm-hmm. that can complicate any plans they had to run for governor after that. I even have, you know, why, why limit it? Uh, Mallory Morrow certainly is the rising star in the party. She mm-hmm. could run more to the left of Slacken, but even Warren Evans, Mike Duggan said he won't do it yesterday, and I actually kind of believe that, but uh, uh, Mark Hackle, um, Shri Tanadar, how can you how can you rule out any of those folks 
then we already mentioned Garland Gilchrist. Sure. Um, no, they've got a great list that would cause a great reshuffling because if Slacken were to run, then that seat that everybody just spent a bazillion dollars fighting over would open. I was going to say, I mean, that was one of the most competitive house races in in the country, and uh, you know, I mean, it it, it elevates Slotkin, uh, but you know, by the fact that she won it, I think to to real prominence in the party. But if she went off to the U.S. Senate, would Dems be able to? To hold that seat would be one of one of the questions uh, for sure. Right, and they, they have a good bench uh, in that seat, and that, you know it's a little far away from your audience. But you know, there's Kurt Sartell's there, Andrew sure. Wetwork is going to be the approacher in the House, Andy Shore, the mayor of Lansing. You know, Barb Byram. There's there's there are people there to make that a big fight, and Tom Bear obviously could slip right back into that role and, and run for that seat again if he chose. Yeah, yeah. I uh, love the contrast between the the list that that John has of Republicans and the list of Dems, and that he's listed Dems who have a track record of winning. Uh-huh. <laughs> and a track record of, of, of doing terrific work in the jobs to which they've been elected. And that is really, you know, John, you're right. We have such a deep bench that, you know, when someone chooses to step up and run here, we've got more folks coming behind who also have track records of winning and doing terrific work as elected officials. So um, it is it is a good problem to have. Um, to have so many folks who could do this and might be interested in it. And, um, you know, the the key to all of this, of course, is that whoever it is, is going to win. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I would love to get to some uh, callers here, but of course uh, we've had too much fun talking about this and speculating among the three (laughs) of us. Uh, We're out of time. But uh, Lavora Barnes and John Selleck, uh, great to have both of you here. To talk about this, and I'm sure we will do this again many times before November of uh, of 2024. But uh, thanks for joining Happy us. Happy to come back today. anytime, my friend. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back on Monday when we will continue talking about all kinds of things here in Michigan and in Washington uh, on Detroit Today. Next week, for sure, we will get to the stalemate in Congress over uh, the Speaker of the House and what that means, not just for leadership in the House, but uh, governing of the House over the next two years. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again on Monday. <laughs>